police have identified more victims and plan on more than just the four murder charges filed today. Confirmed earlier reports of cannibalism. The building was a scene of ghoulish slaughter. A large kettle on the stove which held boiled body parts. Identified more victims. Killed even more. Plan on more than just the four murder charges filed today. Had sex with some of his victims before he killed them. And that he was also a necrophiliac. <laughs> You are now listening to Grinding True Crimes with your host, Maddie Matt, Todd Fox, and Gabby Dad. Hey, 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 welcome into another episode of Grinding True Crimes with your host, Todd Fox, and our special guest today, Carlos Delatore. Carlos Delatore coming to you live, well, live here from Ohio, and I'm in Los Angeles. Uh, the reason why Carlos is on is uh, we just regret to inform you guys that uh, Matty Matt lost his father uh, last week or at the beginning of last week. And, um, you know, obviously he's been down and we're, uh, he told us to press on with this episode, so we will. Um, but usually, you know, his dad's been in uh, bad health for a little bit. And uh, so that's why the episodes have been a little erratic lately. So um, he told me to, to put one out here. And Carlos, is, we've done episodes together about crime and sports from Out of Bounds. So um, that's another uh, podcast that we do. But um, with that being said, Carlos, you ready for a, a true crime story today? Yep, let's get to it. Um, condolences out to Matt all the way from uh, Northwest Ohio, man. Uh, life is too short. Um, you just got to keep moving, Matt. You just got to keep moving as hard as it is, man. Your dad, you know, <clears throat> your dad would want you to be happy. So, you know, just carry his uh his legacy on with you man do uh do more with what he wanted you to do like he wanted the world for you man so just just make him proud man you know he's watching over you and just uh just stay strong man just carry his legacy like i said you carry the face of your parents man your parents uh split your face in half and now you carry both of them man so carry that pride man there's nothing wrong with that with carrying that pride man just make, make your dad proud man nobody else matters that's good to know too, and he's got he's got the support of his mom and also the support of Gabby. Uh, our hearts go out to Gabby too to keep them strong. Uh, so well said uh, there, Carlos. And uh, if you want to find uh, more podcast episodes from Grinding True Crime, just type in Grinding True Crime. You'll find us on uh, Podbean, uh, Anchor, uh, iHeartRadio, iTunes, all that stuff. So, with that being said, um, listener discretion is advised always on these episodes. Um, so as we get started today. Uh, we're going to take this one up north. We're going to stay in the United States, but we're going to st- uh, start in the state of Alaska, bro. In the state that never has a uh, night set, huh? Isn't, there, isn't that the state that goes like half a year with no uh, with no nighttime? I think so. I don't know if it's half a year or if it's three months, but pretty much either it's all night or it's all day or something like that. It's real weird up there, and they have the northern lights up there, too, so... Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever? I know. I know that we're about to get into like the the crime part of it all. But have you ever watched those shows, uh, Surviving in Alaska or whatever? Those people that um, that they they go back like Cameron people go out there and they show you how people in Alaska live like out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. They're spread out, and I'll actually get into that right now. The logistics of everything. All right, I'm excited. So let's start it off. The state of Alaska is what we are going to talk about tonight. 
Um, look, look at the size of Texas, and everyone forgets that Alaska, first off, most people forget that Alaska is part of the United States. But the, the state everyone refers to as Texas being the biggest in the United States is not really the biggest. Um, you have 30 million people in the state of Texas. You have nearly 39 million people here in the state of California, which is our home state or my home state. And uh, how many people do you think live in Alaska? In Alaska? Yeah. Totally. It takes a certain, it takes a, a certain kind of person to live out in Alaska, man. I would say probably five million. No, bro, not even close. Only as okay. Let me put it to you this way: Alaska is almost three times bigger than Texas. You could fit almost three Texases in one Alaska, and yet thirty million people are in one Texas. In a full Alaska, there's only seven hundred thirty thousand people. Yeah, it takes a certain kind of person to live out there in Alaska. But man, can you imagine that? I wonder what is like the the price of living up there is, man. Because there's not that many people. There's not that many like uh, businesses out there. So once you strike a good job out there, man, you're set for life. I was, I would have bet. I think so because just like South Dakota, where they're always paying people a lot more to live there and a lot more to work there, it's the same thing. I mean, you got oil in both industries. You got more fishing up in Alaska. So yeah, you're right. You get paid. A lot more, but what's there to do up there? There's not many things to do unless you're an outdoorsy people. Like you said, it takes a special type of person. And uh, the great outdoors, it's it's like one of the more outdoorsy places, the more the beautiful landscape, a lot of places untouched by humans because there, it's just so out in the, in, in the boonies, you know what I mean? There's a ton of wildlife. I'm going to be honest with you, man. As long as there's a hospital close by and, like, a grocery store, mm-hmm. I'd live up there. I'd live up there. I'm already living out here in the cold uh, state of Ohio, man. I'm pretty sure it'll be way different up there in uh, Alaska. But, man, there won't be that many people. And I'm not I'm, – the older I get, the less I like people, man. So <laughs> I, I, would, I wouldn't mind living up there. And I bet you the, the, the air is crisp up there, too. You'd be off the grid except Madden. I think that's what that would be your thing. <laughs> as long as you yeah. have Madden, it'd be Football. all good. Football and Madden. Football. I know it's the same thing, but video game wise, I, I would I would work on my game even more up there and working out, like getting the exercise in and all that. Yep, yep. So let's talk about our uh, our focus for tonight, which is Robert Christian Hansen. Uh, he was born February fifteenth, nineteen thirty nine, in Christianville, Iowa. Robert grew what, up. What, huh? what month was it? February fifteenth, nineteen thirty nine. You said. Yeah, nineteen thirty nine. So, so he was born a day after Valentine's Day yep. um, in 1939. This was about the time, I know you were about to get into it, but this was about the time of World War II, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, uh, that's when Germany was at its height right there, before they, uh, before they, a couple of years before we uh, entered the war. Yeah. So okay. <clears throat> Robert grew up in a very strict family. His family owned a, a very popular bakery in town. His father, from the age uh, Robert was 12 onward, uh, forced his uh, teenager uh as teenagers to work in the bakery and long hours so in his teens robert was small for his age and had bad acne uh he was he described his face as being one big pimple (laughs) so he did not look all that uh appealing to others this was before technology and stridex and all that other good stuff that doctors recommend nowadays for acne was around so he was kind of screwed i wonder if there was even any lotions around they probably just said, uh, put put some leeches on your face or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that, as you can imagine, didn't help him with the ladies or the girls. He was very shy. 
Um, he couldn't relate to other people, even uh, or kids his age, boys or female or or uh, male. And also, he had a bad stuttering problem, so that didn't help things. And he was a natural lefty. Now, I don't understand this part, but his family would force him to do things with his right hand, namely his father. He'd force him to write with his right hand, throw with his right hand, work with his right hand, but he was a lefty, and this caused him more stress to where he would stutter even more. Like, how does that make sense? You know what I mean? Like, why would you do that to your kid? Man, it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. It's like you with your kids. Like, are you, you're not going to force your kids to be left or right-handed. You're going to see, you're going to analyze, uh, see what they are, right-handed or left-handed, and you're just going to go with it, man. You're just going to wing it. But for you to force your kid, yeah, you, your kid is obviously ugly as shit. I mean, ugly as crap, uh, <laughs> and you're already putting more stress on him. Where he can't relate with nobody. <laughs> the parents don't even like him, it sounds like. Pretty much. They're kind of like just throwing everything at him. And uh, he grew up and enlisted in the Navy Reserves. Uh, he would go to base on the weekends. This is after he graduated high school. And then he'd work long hours during the week uh, at the bakery. So weekends at a military base, weekdays with your father. I mean, what's what's the difference there? You know, his, his dad's just as strict. So in 1960, he's 21 years old. He marries a local woman. And they appear to be settling down. Now, he actually found somebody? Yeah, he actually found somebody. Uh, it must have been the money. Yeah, exactly. Or or the fact that maybe she was blind. I don't know. If his face is one big pimple, and if you've seen a picture on him, which I'll post on the uh, podcast, he's not the best-looking guy, but he's not the worst-looking guy either, but still. Um, he had some issues. One night, he had this premonition of hurting his old school, and they had this uh, bus uh, uh, parking lot slash garage Oh, and where all the kids would get on the bus for the school. You know, they have them all parked in one little area. And um, he decided at the age of 21 and married, you know, it should be over all the school crap. Instead, he set the entire garage on fire and it burned all the buses. And uh, he fleed the scene thinking he got away with it. And uh, basically his uh, friend from school, which the, the few that he had, but this guy wasn't a true friend because the true friend would have been like, hey, you know what? You're stupid. Don't do that again. You could have got caught. But this friend was like, hey, it was him. It was Hanson. And he pointed him out to the police, and he was arrested. I thought you were going to go with he encouraged him to burn down more buildings and he wanted to be a part of it. I thought that's where you were going with it, but he ratted on him. Like, that was no friend to begin with. Oh, yeah, he ratted on him big time. And back then, dude, how how do you how many years do you think he got for, uh, for burning down a, a carport at the age of 21? In school for a school yeah i'm a, well first today and today you would probably get you would get um humiliated publicly and by through social media you would go like you would, uh, go viral in today's uh, uh world mm-hmm. but back then social media didn't exist um they probably just threw it under the rug and probably gave them a slap on the wrist and give them like maybe like three months in prison or uh, three months of house arrest or something like that you're close, but what they did was they gave him three years in prison, um, but he only did six months. So you were close. He only did six months. And the thing was, it did go viral for back then for the reason why they were in a small town. Everyone knew him. So his wife got so embarrassed, she divorced him before he got out of jail. Over that right there? Over that, Yeah. <laughs> He was embarrassed over him going viral and actually putting a city on a map, even though it was, a, it was something retarded. 
she was able to see through his pimples and his uh, stuttering problems and uh, his, uh, what do you want to call it, his hermit self. But when, the minute that he goes viral, that she wants to leave him. Like, she could have just talked him down to um, got him some help. But this is going to set him back more, I, I'm feeling. Yeah, he, he probably could have used the help back then. But um, so he got out of jail, now recently divorced. His wife split, didn't tell her, tell him where she's going. So he lost her completely. And he went back to his dad and helped him at the bakery. Uh, he eventually straightened himself out, had some quirks here and there. But for the most part, he was okay. He met another woman, which would become his wife in 1963. And this one, she would stick around with him even through his problems because he would get back into trouble again in the next four years, getting arrested several times for petty theft and just hoodlum stuff that he's already like now in his mid-20s. Why is he doing stupid stuff like this? And well, uh, for some, some people, some people don't don't grow out of that stage until they're like in their 30s and 40s, man. Like some people are just ignorant, man. They just they have this uh, this egotistical part of their life where they got to prove themselves, man. Some people just don't get it, man. Some people get it later in life. And you would think that uh, he would get he would straighten himself out because he has to go back and humble himself down with uh, having to go and work with his dad at the bakery again and having to find a new uh, new uh, wife. So you would think that he was uh, he would settle down, but it just doesn't look like this guy's getting it. He's not. The light hasn't clicked for this dude. No, it hasn't. <clears throat> but it finally does, though, in 1967. Maybe it was the fact that he had a child born with his wife. Uh, he had a daughter for the first time. Um, he wanted to start over. So at the age of 28, he got a, uh, he got an idea to go to Alaska. He's an outdoors man. He figures he could uh, win some stuff out there. He's getting good at shooting things. So he decides to take his family to Alaska. Um, while he's up there, he does oddball jobs, does, does a little trucking stuff. He's, he's received well by the locals in Anchorage. He moves up to Anchorage, which is one of the biggest cities in Alaska. It's a big, uh, it's a town that uh, is parallel to the ocean, to where they do a lot of fishing. There's a lot of oil rigs. There's a lot of stuff like that up there. So that was booming. Um, he got really proficient with a gun and with the crossbow. And so while he was up there, he would hunt a lot, and he would start snagging big black bears, mooses, wolves, and he would uh, sell he would sell these to uh, stores for like pelts. You know, uh, people can use them for jackets, sweaters, um, or just like the taxidermy people. They make them into uh, trophies. You can have them hanging on your wall. You know, big ass bear in your living room, stuff like yeah. that. So he was starting to make a lot of uh, good money, and so he did this for years. He even won four contests. Uh, in a row or three contests in a row from the 1969 to 1971 in the hunting skills and competitions of Anchorage, Alaska. So he was, he was doing really good. And you fast forward, he has another child and it's in 1975. So, so he's got two daughters at this time. You fast forward to 1977 and all his goodwill, the people know him around the town and you know, he's, he's that guy. He's, you know, he, he helps you with your car. He's just an all around good dude, quiet stutters a little bit, but he's a good dude. What do you think gets him in trouble in 1977? Can you guess? Well, he's doing all this and that. He accidentally shoots a kid cause he's good at shooting bears and wolves and all that. He accidentally shoots a <laughs> bystander or something like that. 
No, see, that would make sense. You know, maybe you're out hunting. You don't see a, a kid's not wearing like a, a bright color and you think it's like a deer or something. But no, he gets caught for stealing, of all things, from a hardware store, a chainsaw. How are you going to jack a chainsaw? Yeah, that doesn't make too much sense. And there's not that many. I don't know, man. It just, <laughs> the, the light still hasn't clicked for this guy. It hasn't clicked for him. Even though he's having some a lot of success, man, it still hasn't clicked. You would think that he would pick up on the signs like, I'm a good guy now. I'm, I got a fresh start out here. I'm going to do everything the right way, you know. He could go and borrow one. He could go and ask people. He's, but it doesn't make any sense. He could go and borrow one. Like, dude, I, I'll, I'll leave these 50 Back in the day, back in like the 70s and all that, like $15 had to be like $100 today. So he could have been like, I'll leave you a $20 bill if you let me borrow this for a day or two. Yeah, or hey, I'll fix your car if you let me borrow your chainsaw. I mean, how bad do you want to really chop down that tree? You know what I mean? Like, damn, dude. Like, you really have to steal it? And it's a small town. It's a small city. You know, everyone knows you. That's embarrassing. Yeah, I just wonder if his wife and kids uh, leave him after that. Well, let's get to it. So what happens is he's arrested, and he's sentenced to three years in jail. But he, again, gets a slap on the wrist, early released. He gets out in one year. So he does actually one year behind bars in Anchorage, Alaska. And the psychiatrist who sees him every day decides that, hey, he's got some mental issues. He's a little bipolar, a little schizophrenic. Um, we got to put him on this drug called lithium, which was dangerous back in the day. But that's the drug that they would give people that had multiple personalities or issues bipolar-wise. You just made me think of that movie Glass. Have you ever seen that movie Glass? That one uh, skinny white dude with like nine personalities? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that, what I'm thinking of right now. He's not, he's not that bad, but yeah, he had some issues. We'll, we'll get into it. So... Yeah. They, per, they 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 basically said uh, to live a normal life, you need to be on lithium every day. Uh, do you think he took lithium every day? He probably took it at first, but then it probably made him feel a certain type of way. And then he's like, yeah, I can't take this. And then he started taking like half a dosage and he just started dropping it off little by little because it started making him feel funny. You, you give him way too much credit. He actually started for two days and then stopped completely, went cold turkey. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, they should have done um, like blood work on him, make sure that he was uh, doing a drug that uh, prescription lithium. It sounds bad. It sounds like a bad drug, lithium. And if it was today, if that would be probably part of his probation. They would check up on him, like you said, test his blood, make sure he's taking the pills. But nobody checked up on him whether he or not he was on the medicine. So that's another thing. Um. So after this, he laid low in the community, not hunting for the town, not doing favors for anybody, staying out of the lineup, uh, or out of the limelight. Uh, he began to become more reclusive. Uh, he would send his wife, get this, and child away for the summer months to the States to visit family while he enjoyed what, um, what he had grown to uh, inherit, which was a single-engine uh, pontoon plane. It's one of those planes that can land on the water you know, and take off in the water. Um, yeah. And he would actually spend the summers hunting, flying his plane, and just having a good time by himself. And his wife was totally cool with it for whatever reason. So, well, she got to go and uh, experience life outside of Alaska. I mean, I'm pretty sure that she went and seen you know, California, Oregon, Seattle, Florida, wherever it is that she went. She probably enjoyed that with the kids, lifelong memories. So that right there seems like it's a good, good spot in his life right there. And he's enjoying his life himself. He's got his freedom. 
Yeah, I think that's a good spot in his life. And he's to me, it's really good. And he's a guy that would build a cabin out in the middle of freaking nowhere. We're talking fifty miles outside of Anchorage, just by itself, and and just tucked away, it. huh? Just to build it, just for the heck of it. Yeah, just so that when he's out hunting, he has somewhere to go, and oh, okay. and it's real remote. And he's by himself, and he loves it. Some people can't hack it by themselves. They talk to themselves, freak out. This guy loved it. So he would actually, though, in the summer of 79, while his family's away, he would uh, call the police and say that his house was robbed. And he collected $13,000 from the insurance company, which he flipped into an investment, and he found a way to make money on it, which was to buy a bakery like his father, in downtown Anchorage and start selling donuts and cakes. And the blueprint. Yeah, the blueprint went with his his father's idea, followed his footsteps. Um so he would open up the store in seventy nine to some great success. And he began to get the respect of the community and his donuts and cakes were favorites amongst the locals and they started to forget about his checkered past and the jokes about stealing a chainsaw and all this other stuff and about how he was weird. He started to serve policemen donuts, and everyone would go there for coffee before going to the oil rigs, and he just became a part of downtown Anchorage. To me, it sounds like this dude, when he starts doing good, because he does great when he does good, it sounds like he is bored of it, man. It sounds like he's like, okay, it's time to flip the page, and it's time to go back and reprove myself. It sounds like this is he keeps going up and down. He's bipolar all over the place like a roller coaster, man. I think you're starting to see it too, and, and it's a good call by by uh, by you on that one because that's definitely how this story goes. So fast forward a little bit here to September 12, 1982. It's 25 miles outside of Anchorage, Alaska, deep into the wilderness, on a really picturesque river, Pike River to be exact, and two hikers, both off-duty police officers are walking alongside the river. They just had a hard day of fishing. They didn't really get as much luck on fishing as they thought they would. So they're returning a different way up the ravine uh, that they had came down to to get back to their cars. So as they were going up the ravine, uh, it was uh, Officer uh, let's see, uh, John G. Daly and Audi Holloway. And as they were coming up the, uh, the ravine, John looked over on the side of the uh, path and saw a boot. And he figured, oh, that's weird. Why is a boot out in the middle of nowhere? And so he went to just go pick it up to see, you know, what size it was. And it was stuck. So then he moved the leaves to the side of the boot. And there's a bone stuck to it. It's in the shoe. It's in the boot. It's in the ground. It's sticking up. So, so hold on. There's a bone, like a leg bone. Like basically sticking up from the ground, and then the boot was on top of that. Like it was upside down. It, was, that? it was still in. It was still in the foot. Oh like, man! Still in the shoe. I mean, yeah. Oh yeah. So what? What a sight to see for those two off-duty officers. So right away, um, they were like, you know what? Um, this is weird. We're we're gonna um, mark this, and we're gonna go back into town, and tell the other police officers what we found. So they come across Detective Port which is a Vietnam veteran. Uh, he's the only detective that works homicide. Obviously, there's not a, homi- a lot of homicides up there. And uh, he's very meticulous. He's very careful what he does at crime scenes. 
Uh, he came up there at the time not knowing if it was a homicide or not because in that Alaska, there's a lot of times where people will be found dead and they're just hikers that fell off the trail, fell off a cliff, uh, got lost, and then maybe froze to death, got attacked by animals. A lot of times they'll find people up there half-eaten. A lot of just, you know, it's just because it's so out in the middle of nowhere, you don't have ranger stations everywhere. You don't have a real uh, hiking truck. You know, people go missing up there a lot, basically. So when they investigated, you know, he took a team of uh, forensic guys up there and they started looking, sifting through, trying to unbury the body because it was like in a little, um, a little uh, area, you know, like a, what's it called? A shallow grave. And as they were doing that, they found uh, they found that the body was badly decomposed. It had bru- bruise marks on it, ligature marks around the neck and the ankles and the arms, meaning they were like t- even strangled. Yeah, and like they were tied up too. And uh, also, they saw two quarter-sized puncture holes, which they couldn't figure were in the victim's thigh, and uh, along with one two twenty-three caliber gunshot wound to the back and two to the back of the head so right oh, man, dude, he hung him he hung him he cha- he uh, that's why he wanted that chainsaw he wanted this dude is just crippled in the head he's messed up in the head he hung this dude he uh i'm i'm, I'm saying what he, i think I, saw, I see what he was doing he hung him and then he made sure that the dude was awake or the person was awake and then uh he, he made sure that he was tight with the chains or the rope, whatever he was using, and he just started going to town on him. And then with his shooting, he got as far as possible and probably sniped him down for just for the thrill of it. Well, let's let's see if you're right or not, because right now they they find the two they found they find the uh, two twenty three caliber shape, uh, ca- shell casings, which belong to a custom high powered rifle. And so back at the lab, they, could, they couldn't identify the person at the time, but they found out it was a female uh, later on, and that uh, that's before DNA, so it took a while for them to get the dental records. But once they did, uh, they found out that, it was, uh, that, sh- that she had been dead for six months. And uh, they also found out that there was ace bandages that were by the crime scene that were used to blindfold the victim as well. So, uh, so she was there for six months with her body like that, and they were able to pull up like because when you die, your your teeth start falling out after so long. But I'm I'm assuming it was like in the middle of winter, which is like eight, like nine months out of the year out up there in Alaska. So she, dang dude, can you imagine that just dying and your body just laying out there in the middle of nowhere where it just decomposes and it gets frozen to death and then six months later they come and pick you up like oh this like and then it still takes a while for them to identify mm-hmm. you like the family how much unrest they've got that, that's that's mind-blowing right there oh, absolutely and then, and then you know i think part of it was she was built uh buried in a shallow grave so like you said the snowfall and the ice that helped preserve her so only the only the leg that was sticking out pretty much rotted away. They had flesh still to understand what kind of uh, issues she had gone through. Jeffrey Dahmer uh, probably had a smile on his face. Have you ever heard any of these stories? Yeah, pretty much. Um, so two weeks later, after that, they they were able to get the dental records, like I said, and they were able to find out that the victim was 24 year old Sherry Monroe. Uh, she was a topless dancer at a bar called the Wild Cherry in downtown Anchorage. 
So she was seen. Uh, she was last seen April second, nineteen eighty one. Uh, when she told friends that she was going to see a photographer who offered her $300 for a photo shoot. So detectives, including Port, began to think that this was not a one-time murder. Over the last six years, there had been a huge increase in missing persons reports in Anchorage and the surrounding small towns. In the late 1970s and early 80s, there was a boom of oil, uh, oil industry. So men from the United States would come up to work for three to six month shifts from their families or wives and they got lonely or they were single and they wanted attention. So strip clubs and prostitutes uh, sprung up as uh, needed uh, businesses for the area to keep the men busy or satisfied. Right. Uh, women came from the states and other countries as far as, as um, what is it called, uh, as far as China to uh, and, and they were paid very good. Um, being prostitutes, most of them anyways, they didn't have too much contact with their family, being ashamed of their profession. So when they did go missing, only other prostitutes would rep report their friends missing. And that's if they did because the prostitutes hated the police at the time and the police did not trust prostitutes in general. That, and then they would also be like the jealousy factor of it too because you know like drug dealers you know how drug dealers are like this is my corner this is my street mm -hmm. that's how prostitutes think too so like they were probably killing all prostitutes too they were probably adding to the st to, uh, statistics they were probably adding like the death total too like they were killing off other uh, females so they can make more money or they were probably like hey you know what she's missing but uh, my corner now <laughs> you know that type of thing so the Alaska Journal newspaper asked Detective Port one day about the fact that three girls were missing in the last two months. And now you have found a body because they hadn't found the other three that had just been gone missing. And they asked him, is this a serial killer? She asked the reporter to uh, Port, Detective Port. Detective Port then said uh, the opposite of what he was thinking and his officers were thinking. He told the reporter that the body was an isolated incident and they were working on capturing the offender. They do not believe it's a serial killer. But Port was lying. They already were forming a task force about the serial killer and the missing woman. women. Uh, he, he and the others did not want to panic the public or tip them off that a murderer was on the loose. And they were trying to uh, trick him as if they didn't know what was going on. So they were smart about it. They were smart about it. Unlike the like the story that you guys covered with the Golden State Killer, they were smart about it. They they were gonna hold it under wraps. And they were, but they were smart. They were smart. Yeah, this is this is uh, around the same time as a Golden State Killer, and these cops just went about it a lot better. So while the task force was being assembled, they started to look at past unsolved cases, and they came up with a couple that fit. In one case, a construction worker uh, was fixing a road while, when digging a, a hole and unearthed a body of a woman. And it was uh, her torso and legs that were exposed. Her head had been found 100 feet away uh, in a ravine and parts of her hands as well with bite marks, meaning the animals had gotten to the body before people could find her. And uh, the, there was no identification on what was left of the skull. Man, can you imagine being born to die that way? That's crucial. Right there. That's brutal right there, dude. Like, you're born to live life, and then that's the way. That's 
that's unacceptable right there, man. Those are some questions that I gotta ask. Like when my time comes, like I don't know if I'd be able to allow it to ask God or whatever. But man, that's just rude. Yeah, that... I hope I'm, I hope I don't die like that, dude. I just hope I hope I die in my sleep or something like that. Everybody wants to die that way, but man, I just like that's just horrible, dude. You're born to live life and die a certain way, but damn, dude, that's that's. That's terrible. Yep, no proper burial, and, you know, your body's ravaged by animals. That sucks, you know. So, obviously, little evidence was found at the scene, and they had another Jane Doe. So they were never able to identify the corpse. But they did find some, some holes in the bones that were consistent with the other girl. So they were trying to link it that way. And then the next case that fit the mold was Joanna Messina a local woman from a town who who was a drug addict and a prostitute. She was found outside a remote gravel pit 40 miles outside the town, but buried in a shallow grave with a couple puncture holes and, again, bullet holes in, the, in, in her back. So that matched what they had found with that one, one female. So now you have three that are, you know, three mur- murders that are right there, uh, that fit the same category. So they're putting it together. They're putting it together. Like this guy keeps doing the same traits. Yeah. And, and it's going back a couple years too. So it's not just recent. It's, it's going back a couple years. So then on the night of June 12th, 1982, things turned around. A truck driver was on the outskirts of town and noticed a half naked woman running directly at the truck. He slammed on the brakes and almost jackknifed the truck. She ran up to the truck and said, please help me. Please help me. Someone's trying to kill me. He, he, he lifts her into the cab and he notices that her arms or her hands are handcuffed. And she had broken out of the ankle ties that she was in. The truck driver uh, took her into town and uh, the woman had, uh, had, uh, had been beaten. And she had been, uh, they used a cattle prog on her, which is that electric thing. Um, her nipple, one of her nipples was nearly bit off and uh, she had uh, uh, bruises all over her body and she had been raped so uh, what happened is um, once the police came and interviewed her, they found out that she told them the night before she had been uh, offered $200 for oral sex by a small man in a a car $200 back then that, that must have been like two grand dude you know yeah, I mean? that's that's fortune right there. That's a lot. Um, so of course- I just, dude, hold on, man. I just like you said, half her nipple was missing, and she got raped, and she was handcuffed, and she was tied up. Yeah, her no, her uh, her nipple was almost off, completely off. It it, it was it was bitten that hard to the to the uh, skin, and then she was had bruising from uh, top to bottom, and uh, she had been. Uh, prodded with a cattle prod, the electric thing they use on cattle. And uh, she also had been whipped and raped. Dude, I got a, I got a stepdaughter and my actual daughter, and I can't imagine how terrible, like, I would probably do sleep over there. I don't know if I'd be more sad or more angry about that situation, but I definitely have more gray hairs and more. Uh, I probably end up going out and purchasing some uh, some pistols and some guns after something like that, and I'd be, I'd be ready to go, man, because that's just, it's... That, 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 I don't know, man. And she got raped too. That's, that's and this is that, that yeah. And this is watch. And here's here's more uh, details on it. So 
she told the police that once he um, he gave her the two hundred dollars, she started performing oral sex on him. Midway through, he puts a gun to her head as she's performing oral sex on him, and tell and, te- and tells her to put the handcuffs on, which she does. And then he slaps her around a little bit, uh, takes her to his house, which his family's not there. Remember, um, he takes her to a room that he set up for torture, and he tied her up, hung her from the uh, the ceiling, and then started to rape her, do the stuff to her nipples, beat her, the cattle prog. And when he was done raping her for an, almost an entire night, the coup de gras, which I didn't um, mention, and this is kind of sensitive. He shoved a hammer into her vagina. Like like the uh, the wooden part or the actual hammer part, like the the metal part? I don't know. All it says is he shoved a hammer into her vagina. Yeah, it had to be the, the, the wooden part. Because if it was the other part, he would have ripped it. Because you know how the he would have ripped her, her, uh, her, the, her, I can't, I don't know how you want to say it. Cervix, cervix. Yeah, that part right there, yeah, he would have yeah. ripped it out. Like he, she would have died with that. But he, it's getting to me like, dude, he paid her two hundred dollars to do the oral part. Mm-hmm. He didn't have to. He didn't have to um, pull the gun out. He could have just been like, here, I, I feel I, I get more turned on with you having handcuffs on. I'm freaky like that. Let's yep. go to my house. He didn't have to do all of that. Like he, he did more work than what he was supposed to. He put more, more pressure on himself. That right there doesn't make sense to me right there. But you know, it's just I guess that's just. The way he moves, I guess. That's how psychotic this guy was. So this wasn't his yeah. first time. So he then tells her after he puts the, the hammer in her vagina that if she does what he says, she will not be killed. But he is going to take her for a ride on his pontoon plane. So this guy has the nerve to drive to the local airport where his plane's at. And it's at night and there's nobody else out there. He takes her, uh, he has her still locked in the car. Now, somehow she wiggles out of the restraints, and but she still is handcuffed. Um, she's able to unlock the door. As he's putting supplies in the plane, she gets out and runs half naked down the runway and actually gets through a little skinny part in the fence to where he has to take time to climb the fence, and which buys her time to get on her feet and run towards the street. As she does, she gets away, and he gives up chasing her. He's just like, F it, you know, she, she got away. And um, that's when she runs into the truck driver just minutes later. So you're telling me this dude had all, like, everything planned out. He even had a gun. He didn't try to shoot her. Like, I wonder if he purposely let her get away. I wonder. I wonder. Well, we'll get to that right now. But, but what happened was he just said, you know what, screw it, because he had put – remember, he was loading the plane up for supplies. He was going to take her with him. So right. they, they were going to go fly away to his his getaway way up in the uh, in the deserted wilderness. So um, once the police in, were done interviewing the poor woman, remember she's a prostitute, and they don't really like trust the sayings and whatnot. So they take five officers and they head over to Hanson's house, and they go to interview him. And as they interview him, they notice that everything that the uh, prostitute was describing is in his house like she was describing the animals that that he had on the wall the trophies um the sex room all that everything fit to a t yep and hansen denied everything and said it was absurd and uh that she was trying to shake him down for money 
Like she, like who would pay two hundred dollars for oral sex? And he was laughing about it. And he says, by the way, who would pay? Who would pay? Uh, or no, he said, why would you rape a prostitute? That makes no sense. So like he's trying to throw it back in front of the cops' face, and the cops are looking at him as, well, you know, this is a guy with a, you know, maybe he had a mistake a few years ago, but you know, he serves us donuts and coffee in the morning. He's a good guy. You know, he's loved in the neighborhood now. You know, like. You know, he's a family guy, like, and he's a hunter. Like, what's, you know, maybe the prostitute's lying. So they, they asked, well, oh, go ahead. One of those cops, I'm pretty sure one of those cops probably had it like instant, instant alert. Like, this guy tried stealing a chainsaw years ago. So I'm pretty sure one or two of the cops is like, they probably played it off like, oh, no, you're innocent. But deep down inside, they were like, we got to keep an eye on this guy. You're absolutely right. Port, Detective Port had his antenna up the entire time. The problem was two of his neighbors came to his defense and said that they were playing poker with him all night. So there was no way he was with a prostitute. So they they provided him an alibi and the police really couldn't find nothing in the house. They had no search warrants. They had to leave. So let's just say 10 days later, um, they found another body in a shallow grave. Uh, What do you call it? Uh, Hold on. Uh, yeah, they found they found another uh, body in a shallow grave, and this would make four, and it had the same characteristics as the one they just found, uh, you know, uh, in the first one, Sherry. And this one was a, also a topless dancer, and she was also a prostitute, but and her name was Paula Golding. The problem with this one is nobody knew that she was only seventeen years old and working in a topless bar and also a prostitute. So she had a job. So she was lying to the to the owner. She probably had a fake ID and she probably had a fake name and all that. So she she got over on the, on everybody with that part right there. Yep. And she had gone five months prior missing. Uh, she was, they found two, uh, the, the, the hikers and the police found two 223 caliber bullets again next to the body. And then weird holes in the body in several different places as well that they couldn't figure out what it was. Um, they couldn't figure out what those holes were, like what, how those holes were uh, generated on the bodies. Yeah, they they just the, this was the third out of four bodies that they were just like, dude, what the hell is this? It's just it's lining up with the other bodies, but what what kind of wound is it? It didn't look like a bullet. They couldn't find a bullet fragment. They were trying to they were trying to figure out what it was. Man, could it be that he was hitting so hard with the hammer? with the hammer that he was causing those holes no it's it's more of a circular hole so watch i'll uh, i'll explain what happens there but uh, the hammer would be another way i think they could figure that out but uh i, I know what you mean so the, the the police at this point with four bodies now that make up a serial killer they called the fbi and uh this was out of their range they didn't have good success with serial killers in the past so a famous uh, profiler by the name of John Douglas from the FBI came out from um, from Quantico, New York, to work on the case specifically. He brought all his guys together, and they were trying to begin to build a profile of what the, the serial killer could be, or who he could be. So um, Detective Port was on with you, Carlos. He was thinking Hanson was the guy. He's like, this guy just, he rubs me the wrong way. He's creepy. This is the guy. So he tells Douglas about Hanson. And Douglas is like, well, from my from my understanding, 
a serial killer would have trouble talking with people. He would have some sort of facial scars, uh, maybe a speech impediment. Um, he was made fun of a lot. He'd have self-esteem issues. And every time he brought up something, Detective Port was like, check, check, check. Like, it all made sense, knowing Hanson's past. And Douglas, yeah. yeah, and Douglas even said that he would have, he'd be a little bipolar, maybe schizophrenic. And he's like, Jesus. He's like, dude, this is the guy. Like, you got to look at him. So Douglas was like, let me see his file. And he started to look at him, and he's like, oh, my gosh. Douglas said, what if he's gotten bored of hunting animals and now he's hunting humans? What if his problem with women in the past, this is a way to get back at them? Bam, bingo. <laughs> the, the light flash for them. It's amazing how people in Alaska are a lot more intelligent than the people over here in the States. I wonder if it's because they eat more fish than we do. <laughs> Maybe that and the king crab up there is not bad either. <laughs> they, they're smart, man. Look, back in what, the 70s and 80s, they put it together just like that, dude. Like, it sounds like they're going to get them uh, real soon, but it just blows my mind how this guy was in Alaska with not that many people, but over here, the Golden State Killer and all the, and Jeffrey Dahmer, everybody over here had some like decades upon decades and you know they were able to like put a piece it together so quick man it just shows you when and that's the thing too like what you're talking about the police back in the day and with Dahmer the Golden State Killer and others and even even the one here um, uh, the Night Stalker none of those agencies worked together up there in Alaska Alaska's they just were like hey let's work together let's what do you got what do you got and then it was too much for them they called the FBI and they worked together so they're not the dumb cops of usual. Not this episode. So another reason why we should all move up to Alaska. <laughs> yeah, plenty of uh, space, and the cops are smarter up there. <laughs> <laughs> so um, this is the thing that Douglas said too. He said, "You know what? This guy's probably got trophies. Just like when he kills animals, he collects things from the animals that he probably keeps as keepsakes." He's like, "I bet you anything, this guy's got jewelry, purses, IDs." Something to identify the women by and, and say, hey, I did this. And so um, Douglas encouraged law enforcement to get the warrants and to search his house, search his, um, his plane, and search the uh, back house he had way in the wilderness. So, and then, and then here's the other smart thing. Detective Port figured out that, he, he told Douglas that you know what? Something else that rubbed me the wrong way? Hanson's friends didn't appear to be genuine. And so Douglas is like, well, then why don't you push him with jail time and find out if they're lying? If they're lying, we send them to jail. And maybe they'll they'll break and they'll break his alibi. Because right now we can't get the warrants we want unless we have sufficient evidence. So they went after his friends and they threatened them with jail time. And by by all means, they both... Uh, cracked, and they said that Hanson asked them to lie and to make up the alibi for him. He paid him. Yep. Yeah, he had to pay him because all that, like, he made money, uh, what was it, when he, uh, $13,000 or whatever it is. Like, that dude was smart, but he was too smart. You know, he left the, he left that little bit, that door open just a little bit, and then he paid his friends or whatever. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, uh, that dude, uh, Douglas and Pork and all that, those dudes are real smart, man. They're really, really smart. Absolutely. They even they even went at them so hard that the two neighbors that covered for Hansen felt so bad and wanted to be a clean conscience 
they even had spilled the beans that he had committed insurance fraud. Like, he was never really robbed. So that money he got for the bakery, he made that up with their, with their help to get the money for the bakery. And he also had done some other things in insurance to give him more money. Oh, those dudes just snitched on themselves, man. So they probably got some jail time too, or did they get away clean, or they didn't? Like you didn't, weren't able to find that info. I wasn't able to find that out, but if if I had to bet on it, I bet you for the information they gave, they probably got a, a slap on the wrist and no jail time. Because had they had they not uh, helped the police, I'm, I'm pretty sure they would have went to jail. So by helping them, I think they got out of it. That's just my. They're opinion. basically, in other words, getaway driver. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. So upon hearing this, that gave everything Douglas needed, as, along with Port, to file the um, warrants. So on September 23rd, while, uh, while he was making breakfast and, and uh, bakery goods for the people of Anchorage, the police walked in there and calmly arrested him. And here's the thing. <laughs> when you get arrested, it, you know, and it's a surprise, you're like, hey, what did I do? What's going on? What are you doing this for? Hansen never asked why he was getting arrested, didn't ask what they were doing there. He didn't ask what was this about. He just calmly put his hands out, they cuffed him, and they took him to the car. You know what I would have done if I was those cops? I would have gone in, act like everything was good, like, hey, we're going to have all this food. Can you make all this food for, like, the whole unit? And then right when everybody's finishing up, like, can we get the bill? So when he goes and gets the bill, like, handcuffs are sitting there on the table, like, you know what's about to happen. <laughs> that's <laughs> that's what up. I would have done, dude. I would have done that so bad. I, like, that's what I would have done. <laughs> that's why they call Carlos Officer Ajo. There you go. I would have made him pay for it. He would have served me up a nice big meal. It would have been delicious, nice hot coffee. You know, I, would have, I would have even tipped him. I would have been like, sucks that you may not be able to use this tip right here. <laughs> you know, I would have I would have tipped you if you hadn't killed all those women. <laughs> right. <laughs> so um, here's the thing. So when they got when they got the uh, the arrest warrants and or they got the warrant to arrest him and they got the warrant to search everything, they spent the entire day in three different groups searching the airport, his plane, the, uh, house in the wilderness and his house at the, um, at, you know, his residence, they weren't coming up with anything that was implicating the, uh, Hanson to the murders. So they were starting to freak out. You know, it's, it's beginning to be evening time. They arrested him in the morning. They literally don't have any ironclad evidence that this guy is the killer. One of the deputies, sees an attic opening and says, you know what? We haven't checked up there yet. And he goes up there and this is after they've checked the entire house. And he just happens to reach up there and sees a box. And what's in the box is a Remington 52, uh, rifle with two twenty-three bullets loaded inside a pistol, a crossbow and a map of terrain just outside of Anchorage with 37 check marks. Also in the box, pieces of jewelry and IDs from women, uh, especially from those that they were able to match that were either missing or dead already that they found. So faced with this, faced with this evidence, Hansen requested an attorney <laughs> and refused to talk. That right there, that box right there, that's all they need right there. That's all they need right there. Yep. So everything the profiler said was right in one freaking box, just sitting right there. 
So yeah, that one that one female that got away, I'm pretty sure they uh they had to go back and get her so that way they can uh, reward her or you know make her feel good about herself because she went through it. Yeah, and she had to testify again when they went to court, but um, since she was the only survivor that they knew of, he was charged with four counts of first degree murder, three counts of kidnapping and assault, and insurance fraud. Uh, once the ballistics came back on the bullets, it was a done deal. The bullets matched the chambers of the rifle. The FBI confirmed that it was the same caliber in at least two of the four crime scenes. And, and Hansen pleaded not guilty at first, but February 24th, 1984, he took a plea deal so that he would not get the death penalty. And um, the police were suspecting those check marks to be other bodies. And he told them that they were, and if he if they uh, offered him the plea deal, he would show them the rest of the uh, bodies where they were. And this was back in '84, and then 37 check marks um, were marked mm-hmm. on that map. Mm-hmm. So they gave him the four counts of uh, manslaughter, and then they changed that back to uh, what 37, 37 manslaughter counts. No, because once he took the plea deal, they basically decided, you know, we've already got him for enough. He's not going to get the death penalty. He's going to rot. So they gave him a hundred years sentence per body. So they gave him four hundred years, basically. Ooh. Yeah, that's your life. It's over with. And one thing he was able to negotiate, or two things, one was that he was to move his family out of Alaska to avoid the humiliation. And two, that he did not want to serve his time in Alaska. He wanted to serve it in a non-maximum uh, security prison, which he was moved to Pennsylvania. So he was moved all the way over to Pennsylvania. And then it was in like maximum protection, like he was out in general population? No, he just was not a maximum security lockdown, like 23 hours a day. He was in a normal prison. He was still segregated because he was a serial killer. But he, he wasn't locked down like 23 hours a day. Gotcha. And he had to provide the evidence to close the cases on some of these, um, some of these, uh, what do you call it? Uh, what do you call it? Uh, missing, yes. yeah, missing bodies too. <clears throat> so check this out. Here's how he said he would do these women. He said that he would um, proposition them for sex or oral sex, pull a weapon, handcuff them, just like he did that chick promised they wouldn't get hurt and that they would be fine if they did what he said he would then take his uh his uh while his kids and his wife were gone take them to his house rape them abuse them carve them up with certain knives and stuff as far as like just into their body giving them wounds you know or, or carving shapes into them just to be a dick or shove things into their vagina when he was done raping them then he would take them to his plane and fly them over to the river or the lake in in which he would then uh, take them to the sub- summer cabin, keep them f- overnight, rape them again. And upon uh, finishing raping them and torturing them, he would then release them either naked or blindfolded into the forest and wait about an hour and then start to hunt, hunt them down. As he would hunt them down, he would shoot them with a crossbow. That's that little circular... Uh, what is it uh, damage to the skin that they couldn't figure out he would shoot him with a crossbow with an arrow and then they, he would just recover the arrow after he was done he would wound them and then when it 
came not to be fun anymore when they weren't running or they couldn't get away because they had been shot too many times with a crossbow, then he would finish him off with a 223 rifle. So once he got bored? Yeah, once he got bored, it was either a headshot or in the back. Yeah, this guy, super bipolar. Like, what excites him, he gets bored of it, and then he wants to start all over again. Yeah, and what uh, he said that uh, two of the um, officers or, or detectives that were, because um, it wasn't the same guys that were interviewing him, when they interviewed him, he said it was amazing and exciting feel to kill these beautiful women. And he said it was a rush that he's never felt ever before, and that's why he kept doing it. And they wanted... The detective said they wanted to reach across the table and strangle him. He's, they're not the only ones that want to whoop, him up, whoop up on him. Like, right now, I wish I could whoop up on him. Like, that, but that's the thing about bullying, too, man. It all goes back to how he was raising all that pressure and all that, man. Had he come up differently, man, like, with a loving support system, none of that would have happened. None of that would have happened. But just goes to show you that's why nobody deserves to get bullied for anything, man. Like, inside jokes and all that, like, None of that stuff should exist, man, because this is the outcome. It's not healthy, yeah, because we've seen it too many times where guys or girls grow up and they just lash out on other people or they go shooting people because they're bullied too much and they want to take it out because of years of frustration. Like so, a tube, a tube that's overfilled with toxicity, toxicity man. This is like a body, a human person, a personality and all that. Mind can only take so much before you start getting overflown and then you just want to take it out. Like you can't, there's no way that you can hold all that in for so long. Absolutely. So, so to finish up the bow tie on this one, uh, the uh, army is contacted by the FBI. They want to uh, let them borrow a helicopter, which they're going to fly into all those remote areas of the Alaska wilderness looking and marking those those areas where Hansen had marked on his map as far as where bodies were. So each time they would fly to a spot, they spent all day in the military helicopter landing, flying away, marking spots, going back. And later on in the month, of, once Hansen's back behind jail or in prison, they're going to come out there and look for the bodies and do uh, searches once the weather gets warmer. So they did that, and they left the markers on all the sites where they where he said that the bodies were, and that was part of his plea. Uh, out of the thirty-seven that uh, that he marked or that he followed up on the on the uh, map, only twelve bodies were recovered. Now keep in mind these are twelve bodies that they didn't even know about, and they didn't you know they kind of knew like half of them were missing, but didn't know that they were already dead. And so it took years for them to identify these poor women as well. And the other bodies, the other areas that they searched, they came up with nothing, and they felt that maybe he was just off on the markings, and they're still there somewhere. They just didn't find him. So, might have been off by the marking, or he would have just probably left uh, the bodies out there for the wild animals to come and eat. Pretty much. So, check this out. Out of out of the thirty-seven, they found twelve. He was convicted for four, but those twelve can't be pinned on him. So, likely. At least he should be pinned for 16. And there's still 25 marks out there which are unaccounted for to this day. And police are still frustrated that that has never been, a, uh, what is it, the victims have never been found since then. And Hansen died in 2014 in Pennsylvania due to natural causes and lingering health issues. He actually had a, a 
pretty long life, man, because he was born, what, 1939? Yeah, he died at 78. He actually outlived a lot of people that deserve to live longer than he does. Yep. 2014? 2014, yep. That wasn't that long ago, man. That was not that long ago. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. That just blows my mind. So somewhere up there, unless the animals got to those grave sites, because he didn't remember he didn't bury them too deep, or maybe that he just was off on where he marked. You know, maybe one day someone's gonna go up there, dig for something, or or trip on something, and it'll be a bone. You know, and you never know. But for the most part, they do believe he killed that many, or maybe even more, because they said that it could have been a seven to eight year span where he was killing. So. Oh yeah, and out there, out there in the middle of nowhere in Alaska, and him being so bored all by himself, yeah, I believe that a hundred percent. Yep. I remember these are the same guys, detectives and cops and all that, that figured it out almost immediately as soon as they all got together. Mm-hmm. So I believe them. And that, and that's the, and, the, and how you just brought that up. You wish that so many of these other serial cases, serial killer cases that we've gone over on this show with Maddie and and, and uh, Gabby. Where we're always talking about the bungling police, how they always screw up and they never do things right. They don't want to share information. They don't want to work together. They think they don't think outside the box. And here, the cops, like you said, and the FBI work together beautifully to take down a monster. You know, so I guess different strokes for different folks. Yeah, yeah. I just you know, I what's in what's in my mind right now is. There's been so many serial killers where men, where men are hunting women, right? I want to know there's a serial killer out there that's a female that's been uh, striking down dudes, you know? Like, I have yet to hear about a female, unless it's, like, made up by Hollywood or whatever, I have yet to hear, like, a female serial killer that's uh, killed a bunch of dudes. Well, I know I'm probably going to hear it in the comments. I can't remember her name, but in Florida, there's one I know Gabby wants to do. Um, it's a, uh, she was a lesbian. And uh, she she uh, hated men, and she took out I think at least five guys. So she uh, yeah she had a reign of terror, and she was actually executed. Spoiler alert! So they Florida uh, state, huh? Yeah, Florida took her out a few years back too. So this was not that long of a long ago of a case. No, I'm saying Florida's the state that does that. Like they they go through with that. Like they uh they put an end to those type of people. That's a, that's a got to tilt your hat to uh to florida for something for doing that type of stuff them in texas you like you gotta (laughs) you gotta work fast like because texas they'll put you to death in a few years too they don't they don't mess around they're always famous for that unlike california (laughs) yeah california will be like you're sentenced to death and then everyone's just like nah it's just life you ain't gonna get death (laughs) i know i keep bringing them up but dude golden state killer's still around man he's still breathing yeah he's gonna die of natural causes watch he he ain't gonna get put to death. None of those guys. Richard Ramirez should have been put to death. He's he uh he lived and died of cancer. Same thing with um with a uh, what's his what's his name um the the uh, god dang what the other one um there's plenty of them but I'm I'm trying to think of the guy who had the swastika on his head and he had those people kill for him. Uh, Charles Manson. Charles there, Manson. There you go. Charles Manson. Yeah, he died of natural causes too. So they're not gonna put to get put to death anybody. California is just the state of love, man. <laughs> I guess even for serial killers, which even is terrible. Because I mean, you would All like to, you would like to think that the parents of these 
victims can see the the killer die, but usually the killer outlives the parents as well. So that sucks. Man, this life is something else. Sure is. So any any final thoughts on this case, bro? No, no, I'm just going to sit here and think about it before I go to sleep, so I'll probably be dreaming about it, too. (laughs) Jeez, I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Not a problem, man. It's cool. Yeah, so that's that's Mr. Hansen for you. And uh, if you like this story and others, check out the archives on Grinding True Crime. Look us up under Grinding True Crimes. Uh, Check out the Facebook page. And also check out Carlos's page. Uh, He does some sports stuff called The Lounge. And also Skull Gang, because he's a Vikings fan. And we do a show together that we just started on Sports and Crime, which is Out of Bounds. So we kind of switch off narrating on that one. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, One last thing, man. Matt, hopefully uh, we made you laugh throughout this episode, man. Hopefully we got your mind out of the gutter. Not to say it in a bad way or whatever, man, but that's the only way way I could could think of. But hopefully uh, we helped you out for the what, for like the hour that this uh, podcast lasted for? Yeah, it's just about in an hour right now. So yeah, hang with us, man. Yeah, best of uh, best wishes to you, man. Thoughts and prayers. Uh, we've been talking all week and the week before, too. Uh, it's just a, a surprise for him in a way, but uh, his dad's in a better place. He's not suffering anymore. So uh, thanks for the, the shout-out, Carlos, and, uh, you know, he'll hear this and uh, – you know, hopefully it'll just help get his mind off things. Because even though we're talking about crime and murder, it's not the you know it's it's a distraction basically. And it's not because uh, it's something that he's into. You know what I mean? So yeah, yeah, it just <clears throat> sucked that it happened, man. But you know, we're gonna get through it, man. We got you exactly. So for Todd Fox and our guest host, Skull Gang. Carlos, I'm just trying to say, Carlos. <laughs> Carlos, thanks, like, thanks a lot for filling in the shoes, and uh, hopefully uh, Gabby and uh, Maddie, Matt, will be returning soon. Uh, so for us, we'll take it easy. <laughs>